Hey, it's Wednesday, and it has been too long, my friends, too long. I hope your holidays were happy. I hope your new year is off to a great start. Today, we're back at it in the book of Revelation, chapter 5. Thanks so much for joining us. Today, we're talking about the lion and the lamb. And guess what else we've got? We've got the scroll. Yes, I have it with me right now. This is the deep end. It is the deep end. It is Wednesday, 12 noon on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, or watch or listening, I'm sorry, on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. I am your host, Tim Hatch, and joining me in the studio is Josh Pereira back again. Hello, back in your good graces, I see. Yes. Yep. Remember that time you were a little bit bored during the podcast? Yeah, a couple of yawns. Yep. Yeah. That cost you a couple of episodes. Well, that's all right. We're starting the new year off Welcome right. Welcome back. I starting am a the new year off right. host filled with grace. <laughs> and you're back in. So, hey, everybody, let us know where you're watching from in the comments below. Uh, you can tell us if you're in your car, hopefully not driving. Yeah, don't um, text and drive. Or home or town or room in your home, if you want to be weird. We are so glad to have you with us, and I'm excited to be back at it here. Now, the deep end exists. Why? To dive deeper, thus the word deep, into God's word. And we go through a book of the Bible every semester or year here on the deep end, and we are in Revelation, and we have gotten all the way through 10 episodes through the, to Revelation chapter 4. <laughs> so today, we turn the page to Revelation chapter 5, and you want to go there, you can go there, or you can just trust that I'm going to read you the Bible as it is written as we get into this message. But before we get into Revelation, let's talk about the news, because I like to, on the deep end, I like to tell you about things that you might not hear about elsewhere in the news. And I also like to tell you about news that pertains to Christian faith. Well, I don't know if I have one that pertains to Christian faith today, Josh, okay. but I think it could pertain to tr- Christian faith. It's a strange story that you gave me from a news source called The Hustle. Yes, sir. And I want to ask you this question when we get into the news here. The question is, will you one day be watching a computer-generated pastor teaching you the Bible online? I wonder if that's where we're headed. Interesting. Because guess what? (laughs) We are headed there in the world of celebrities and models. Mm. CGI. Yes, sir. CGI. Computer-generated what? Intelligence, Intelligence? Is that what it is? Don't quote me on that. Or something. Um, I heard about this new celebrity, big hit on Instagram, name Little or Lil, L-I-L, Michaela or Miquela. Lil Michaela. Lil, Lil Michaela. Yep, known as Michaela Souza. Yeah, she has. Mm-hmm. Just let's give the details. Yeah. 1.5 million followers on Instagram. Mm. I've got like 20. <laughs> <laughs> she has a full length music video on YouTube with close to 1 million views and 4,000 comments. Mm. And companies have invested in her brand to the tune of $125 million. Ridiculous. And the only thing about her is, she's not real. She's fake. She's fake. (laughs) She is a computer-generated celebrity. And her name is Lil 
Michaela, this is the this is where we're going, friends. Um, be on your guard. Skynet is about to go live <laughs> at any moment. The hairdryer is going to kill you or your husband, and who knows where we're headed. God help us. Send John Connor, please. <laughs> Lots of Terminator references there. Wow. See, so this little Michaela is a computer-generated celebrity. She looks so real. I have a picture of her. This is, an, this is her Instagram page. Uh, now, just look on the screen, and if you're listening, you're going to have to watch this later in, in the first five minutes of the podcast, so you're good in luck. But this is a picture of her, like, five days ago posting this picture. <laughs> She's not posting it because she doesn't have hands. She, you know, it's funny, though. That photo, she looks a little bit more fake. There's some other ones. There's like, some other ones where she's actually moving. There's yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah. And I was just, I was um, cut off by the comments uh, here on the screen. If you look at it, did you have plastic surgery? <laughs> Somebody asks. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you uh, can you do a live Q and A? Like, <laughs> I did a live Q and A on the podcast last year. I got like thirty people. <clears throat> she's got she's got how fifty five thousand likes yeah. for this. <laughs> I'm depressed. Um, one one YouTube commenter said on her music full length, by the way, music video. You can go and look it up yourself. Uh, it, the comment said, when a robot has a better life than you. Oh, yeah. She has a record label, too. <laughs> Lil Michaela Rex. <laughs> I am floored by this. Another commenter said, you're so beautiful. Um, <laughs> uh, another commenter said, I'm writing a list of people to avoid in 2019. What about you? She's not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> another person, obviously, a perv, says, can you have sex? Um, I think you should change your hairstyle. Someone else said, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Someone said, I mean, this, this is, this is pathetic, man. This is crazy. My goodness. But you said before the podcast, this is just like upgraded Muppets. Oh yeah. This is, this is like the Alf of our, uh, of our time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except she's a lot better looking than Alf was. She's better looking than Alf, but yeah. still creepy. Yeah. And I was just thinking about the fact that, you know, this celebrity, um, is vortex. There is a vortex to celebrity praise and Start worship. Them, yeah. I mean, I you know, I love acting and I love actors and I love movies and I love theater and I love all the arts. There, you know, praise be to God for the arts. There are arts in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with arts, but the celebrity worship is where I, I'm just like, whoa, because I think that's yeah. one of the most dangerous places to be in your life. Um, you know, there's there's a real problem in, a, in, in our country where we're becoming faker and faker. I don't know if anybody can just see the writing on the wall here. Yeah. Mm. We're becoming a fake-driven society, and things are... It's almost like we want fake. And I think about what is the impetus behind the $125 million that companies are investing in Lil Michaela, who doesn't even have a heartbeat? You know, what is the impetus behind this? Um, obviously, it is more money. They're not investing because they want, you know, goodwill for man. They, no. They're investing because they think this is a brand and it's going to sell. Well, yeah, it's the audience. Look it's at the, the audience that she has already at 1.5 million followers. And how sad is it? Just think about this, that the that a computer can now generate an audience. Uh, that's how desperate the human condition is to worship something. Yeah. People say this all the time. I don't worship. I don't worship. You, know, you worship something. You worship something. Everybody's a worshiper. You don't have to be a Christian to be a worshiper. Right, we we yeah. talk about this all the, time. Yeah, all the time. Some you're gonna worship and worship. The old English word is just worship. Something that you're gonna think, okay, this gives me worth, or this is worth my time, money, treasure, talents, whatever. And and so you're gonna give yourself to it. And and we've gotten past actual 
people with skin and bones and personality and we're moving into things that have nothing like that to offer us, but a perceived reality that has no bearing in reality. That's crazy. And you know what they say? They say life imitates art, and I see this all the time. There's a factually funny story about uh, when you go to um, the airport or you go to certain malls or certain stores. Oh, you go to the grocery store. Do you open the door? No. No, the door opens for you, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a convenience that we take for granted. Well, 30 years ago, that, I mean 30 years, I mean like 50 years ago, that did not exist. Do you know that it's actually the first Star Trek film uh, that actually made uh, the first Star Trek TV show that actually was the impetus behind the science to come up with automatic opening doors. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they, they did it on the set. You know, obviously they faked it. They had people behind the, do- you know, the scene opening the door, closing the door for Captain Kirk to walk through or Spock to walk through and walk out. And that actually became the impetus behind the scientific you know, development of the automatic door. There's actually a book out, or a book, or a book, or a documentary called "How Star Trek Changed the World," um, because there, it's not just the opening, the automatic opening doors. It's tons of other technological advances. Um, I think even like some walkie-talkie comms and all that kind of stuff. Actually, the impetus behind inventing these modern conveniences was Star Trek. Life imitates art. So here we are, and I thought about this because here we have Lil Michaela on the screen, uh, a uh, digitized celebrity. Well, it brings me to um, uh, the next segment of our show. I, we're going to call it Pastor Recommends. Watch this. So, life imitates art. Pastor Recommends. A, now, this whole thing, CGI celebrity, actually was the basis of a movie from 2002. And I don't know if anybody in this room has seen this. You guys are all much younger than me, but I saw this movie. It's called Simone or Sim One. You saw Big this? Big fan of Al Pacino, yeah. Uh, it's Al Pacino, and it is hysterical. <laughs> do not watch this movie alone. And I recommend you watch the movie. Uh, do not watch it alone. I watched it alone the first time, didn't laugh, didn't get it. The second time, you know how that is with some movies. You got to yeah. watch them with people because then suddenly they laugh and they make you laugh and then right. you make them laugh and everything. And then suddenly you enjoy the movie so much more. Well, you got to watch this with friends. So sit down with some friends and get, I don't know if you can download this on Amazon probably. You might be able to download this on YouTube for free. I don't know. But go and find Sim 1. Uh, you got to spell it S, the number one, and then M, and I think zero N E. But check it out. It is a hysterical movie. So the, the uh, premise of this movie is, the director, the Hollywood director, Al Pacino, plays a Hollywood director who is world-renowned, but he is at the end of his career. His career is on the kind of hit the skids, and he's sick to death of these um, pam- over-pampered celebrities that want everything to be their way, and they don't want to put the work in. And so somebody like who is about to die has this computer program that he hands him to create a digitized celebrity that he actually uses. And so the guy who creates the program dies, I think, in a car accident or something. Al Pacino takes over the program and he creates Simone, this, this gorgeous Hollywood leading lady. And, and because he's the director and he can manipulate everything about her, he makes her into a star. And she becomes... <laughs> She becomes this world-renowned movie actress. And the movie just descends into hysterics from there because there's a couple of paparazzi who want to actually see her. And then um, he gets, she actually becomes bigger, uh, bigger of a celebrity than he is. And then he has a problem with that. And then he tries to kill her and he can't kill her. And it is just so 
funny. It's amazing how it's a great illustration for the things that we long to create, the things we long to make actually end up consuming us and then becoming another problem for us. <laughs> uh, it overtakes his life. Um, she keeps winning awards. And then because she's winning awards and he's jealous, he tries to put her in this movie where she acts like a pig. This is the funniest thing. She acts <laughs> like a pig in the movie. She's literally eating <clears throat> pig food in the movie. This beautiful girl in the middle of a pig slop and the credits close on the movie and the audience stands up <laughs> and gives an ovation to like celebrate her acting in this filthy movie <laughs> of acting like a pig. And, you know, he just can't win with this this digitized creation of his own. And I thought, wow, life imitates art. Here we got little Michaela. And now Simone, to 15, how many years ago? 17 years ago, 2002, this came out. That's what happens. I have a trailer. Just want to show you a little bit of a clip of the trailer here. I hope we had the uh, sound up. Let me make sure my sound is up. It looks like it is. Okay, so watch this trailer. Victor Taransky has discovered the perfect actress. Who is Simone? We know so little about her. You can't hide her forever. Simone appears only when I want her to appear. That's as far as we can show you with the YouTube's restrictions, but you can go on YouTube and search Simone movie trailer and you'll see it. It's really funny and it's a really worthwhile re uh, watch. Why do I share that with the Deep End Podcast when we're talking about the Book of Revelation? Because here's why. Here's why. Here's how I get the tie-in so that I can justify talking about that. Because the, <laughs> the world is getting faker and faker. And what you have to realize about our God and about Revelation and about the work of God's work in, Reve in Revelation is, and this is what I love about God, he, he is not dealing with fake things. He is dealing with real things. And what I love about the biblical story that separates... Uh, the Christian faith, the Judeo-Christian narrative from all other faith narratives in human history is this. The God that we serve did not sit up in the heavens and wait for us to over-spiritualize ourselves. He is not the God who waits for us to climb the mountain and meet his expectations. He is the God who came down into the mess. He did not um, project an image of, uh, uh, of dirtless perfection. Nope. Jesus Christ, God pre-incarnate, came down into the mud, into the muck, into the very dirt of the world he created that we screwed up and came to redeem it. Mm. And that's what I love about the Bible. That's what I love about the scriptures. The scriptures are the realest story you can get. Jesus entered history, friend. He didn't just imagine a new reality. He did not just uh, think, give us philosophical thoughts. He came and he lived and he walked with us and he talked with us and then he died and then he died. He, he went to the cross and nails were driven through his hands and a, a spear was driven through his side and he was real and he is real and the resurrection is real and the work of his redemptive purposes in our lives is real. That's what the book of Revelation is about. So with that in mind, let's go book of Revelation this week. So what do I have in my hand, Josh Pereira? Looks like a roll-up piece of paper. Yes, <clears throat> to the average person. <laughs> to the, to the person. average person, but to the imagination. But to the trained biblical scholar. <laughs> okay, this is a scroll. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Wow. It is a scroll that I made five minutes ago. <laughs> I downloaded some lorem ipsum text, and I put it in script <laughs> font, and I 
double-sided. <laughs> Why? Because this is what Revelation chapter 5 is all about. It's about the scroll, the scroll of heaven. So Revelation chapter 5, up in heaven, we are in a throne room. And last time we were together, if you can remember this far back, or if you just recently watched the episode, which I recommend, we talked about John who saw the throne. The, he saw the elders. He saw the living creatures. Uh, he saw the um, uh, God the Father on the throne. And last week, you got to remember that last week, last time, last episode, Revelation chapter 4 was looking at the Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, looking at God the Father's work of creation. Well, when we turn the page on Revelation 5, we're going to be looking at God the Father's work of redemption. So, Revelation chapter 4, creation. Revelation chapter 5, redemption. And this, these two chapters are actually a, a summation of the entire book of the of the entire record of scriptures. So when we get to Revelation chapter 5, it's all about the work of God's redemption in our lives. Last verse of Revelation chapter 4, listen to this. Here's what it says. Last verse of Revelation chapter 4 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they, were, they existed and were created. Okay? Two times that text uh, says created. But here in Revelation chapter 5, he moves on from created things and he starts to talk about redeemed things. So look with me here, now in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back. So double-sided, just like my little cheap imitation scroll here, double-sided and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one on heaven, no one in he no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John says, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Okay, lots to get to in this text. So Revelation 4, creation, Revelation 5, redemption. And why is that important? Why am I emphasizing that? Because in Revelation chapter 4, we celebrate and, and creation sings. And we talked about this last time. Creation sings to the glory of God over creation. We worship God for what he has made. Now, this is the great divider of humankind. If you do not worship the creator, you will worship what he created. You are either on the side of I worship you and I give thanks to you for what you have made, or you're on the side of, I worship what you made and I don't want anything to do with you. And every um, emotional problem, I'm gonna, this is a bold statement, but it's true. Every emotional problem, every spiritual problem, every relational problem is tied to the worship of creation rather than the worship of creator. It really is. When you get jealous over your friend because he has this and you don't have it, guess what you are doing? You have elevated whatever he has to the level of godlike status that if you don't have it, you can't have a successful life, you can't have a fulfilled life, you can't have a valuable life. What have you just done? You've just, you've just chosen to worship the creator, a created thing, rather than the creator. And if you're worshiping the creator, you can celebrate your brother's success in having that thing because you know that your creator is good and he will give you what he wants you to have. Isn't that cool? That's the difference of, that's the, that's the world's, that's the, the great dividing line of humanity. Those who worship the creator and those who worship creation. If you are obsessed with your image and your appearance and you're constantly in appearance and, and maintenance of your appearance and you can't leave the house unless you look a certain way and you, you know, work so hard to go to the gym to make sure you're a certain size and your muscles are bulging and all that stuff. These are not bad things if, they, if you do them with the sense of I'm grateful for my body from my creator and I want to honor him with my body good worshiping the creator, 
But if it's a matter of you are doing it so that you can post Instagram pics and get everybody to like you, you are doing it with the sense of what? Worshiping the creation. And so Revelation 4 is the call to God's people in the end times to worship creator, Worship him, and your emotional life will be better. Your spiritual life will be better. Your physical life will be better. Your financial life will be better if you worship him with your finances rather than if you worship finances as if he is not necessary and all you need is finances. So the worship of creation is one of the greatest problems of humankind. And what Revelation 4 reminds us is we do not worship the creation, we worship the creator. But Revelation chapter 5 teaches us an important lesson about creation. And this is why we struggle with creation worship. Do you know why? Because creation is fallen. Creation is corrupted. Creation is lost. And that's what we realize here in chapter 5. What does he see? He sees In the right hand of God the Father, the scroll. The scroll is the unfolding of God's redemption plan, the the unfolding of God's work to bring creation back. And he says, who is worthy? The angel says, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one is found. And what does John do? He weeps loudly. I mean, he weeps loud. Like, don't miss that. Because he's so upset that creation is lost It needs to get back to being found or being rightly ordered. And there's no one in creation that is worthy to fix it. Now you say, I don't see that in my life. Yes, you do. You see that in your life. We see that in our lives. We see that creation is lost every time we see a child with a debilitating disease. We see creation is lost every time we see a government leader not using his power to benefit people, but using his power to line his pockets. We see the creation is lost every time an earthquake uh, destroys homes, a wildfire destroys lives. Every time creation is telling us constantly the world and the created order is broken and it needs a redemption. It needs somebody to bring it back to its original purposes. And we weep all the time. Now, we might not cry tears, we, not, we, we, we might not sob, but we are always in our hearts in some way, shape, or form weeping and looking, weeping and looking for someone who is worthy to bring it back. This is why, okay, this, is gonna, this, this episode of the podcast I'm excited about, Josh, because it's going to explain a lot of things about yeah. what we struggle with. This <clears> is why every time an election cycle comes around in our country, we, we lose our flipping minds. We do. We lose our flipping minds because what are we doing? We are hoping that whoever we put in office is what? It's gonna Worthy to put it back in order. Yeah. And that's what our, that, this, is, this is the problem with worshiping creation. When you put a president or a presidential hopeful in the place of, uh, in the place of your worship, you will weep over his results. Okay, a lot of complaints right now by Donald Trump supporters because the wall isn't getting built and government is shut down. And before him, it was Barack Obama. And I remember one of Barack Obama's greatest backers uh, said that at, at the end of eight years of his presidency, this, this guy who poured millions of dollars into Barack Obama's campaign and presidency said that Barack Obama is the single greatest disappointment of my life. I won't mention who the donor is because I don't want to get into that. But the the point that I'm trying to make is is that we're always weeping because we're always looking and we're not finding someone to set things back in order. And this is what John sees in heaven. And he sees a scroll. Now, the scroll, scroll is important. The scroll is a symbol of redemption because uh, in the Old Testament, 
And, and, and you have to realize that Revelation, and I said this, and I think I said this in week two, everything that you see in Revelation is borrowed text and borrowed imagery from the Old Testament. So it's not like the Revelation is only about what's coming. It's also about what's happened. And all the things in the Old Testament find their fulfillment in the New Testament. And so in the Old Testament, three things were redeemed. Three things were redeemed. Um, number one, wives were redeemed. If a husband died without bearing children, the nearest kinsman would come along. This is the story of Ruth. The nearest kinsman would come along, marry the wife, produce children for her deceased husband in his name to carry on his name so that his name would not die from the earth, right? Wives are redeemed. Slaves are redeemed. These are people who lost all their money. These are people who went bankrupt, and so they had to sell themselves out to slavery, and they had to be bought out of slavery. Well, who bought them out? A nearest kinsman, a brother. Somebody could buy them out, or they could work their way out and buy their own freedom. And thirdly, the land. The land would be redeemed. So three things are redeemed. Wives, slaves, and land. What do, we, what do we redeem in America today? We, we redeem bottles, okay? We have, cheapened, <laughs> we have cheapened the idea of redemption to bottles and cans. Okay, in the Old Testament, it was a far richer term. So what you have to realize now is that so far, and I'm talking about right now, so far and since 2000, uh, I'm sorry, for 2,000 years, God has, in the work of Christ, redeemed two of those three things. He has. He has redeemed his wife. He has redeemed the bride. The, uh, remember Adam? His wife was given to him, and he let her sin and did not redeem her. He actually followed her into sin. Okay? Well, Jesus is the second Adam, and he comes on the scene, and instead of following us into sin, he actually dies for our sins so that he can lead us out of sin. And we are the bride of Christ. We are the wife of Christ, and he gives us redemption through his blood. So, number one, the bride of Christ is redeemed. The people of God are redeemed. Secondly, slaves are redeemed. That's the people that lost their property because they were bankrupt. And we are spiritually bankrupt. We are emotionally bankrupt. We are bankrupt in ourselves. We are poor in spirit. And the moment that we realize that, we can come to Christ and receive his grace and his mercy and his payment for our sins and his payment for our bankruptcy. As it says in, I think, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that though he was rich, he became poor so that by his poverty, we could become rich. So we came out of slavery into sonship through the redemptive work of Jesus. But guess what? That leaves one of the three wives, slaves, and land were to be redeemed so far 2,000 years into human history. Uh, we know the bride of Christ has been redeemed, and we know that the slaves of Christ have been redeemed, brought into sonship. Guess what we're waiting for? The land. The land. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> and that's why, Josh Barrera, that's why from Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 10, you're going to see the land come under judgment. The land is going to be affected. So this is how you've got to read. I told you this teaching of Revelation would be different than what you probably heard in the 1980s. So this is what you're going to have to see is that the scroll is the deed. The scroll is the deed. Now, in the Old Testament, when a man lost his land... They would take the terms of him redeeming his land. They would write it on a two-sided scroll. The outside had the things that he had to do to get the land back. And the inside, the inside, which you couldn't see because it was sealed with seven seals in the Old Testament as well as right here in Revelation, the inside uh, contained the, um, the secret message or the secret blessings of that land for that owner. How, you know, how many acreage, how much acreage it was, how, what was the, where, you know, what was the streams and the springs and all that stuff. So this is the cool picture in Revelation chapter 5. Jesus is, the, uh, God the Father is holding the scroll 
on the outside of the terms, this is what must be to be done to get the land back, to get earth, the broken earth that we struggle with and we suffer with because it is broken and is lost and it needs to be redeemed. The broken earth that we worship to our own hurt needs to be redeemed. Well, there are terms written on the scroll. Someone needs to be worthy to do it. And what Revelation chapter 5 is telling us is this. There is no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth that can do it. But guess what? Guess what happens next? This is so cool. Jesus, um, Jesus shows up. Here's what happens. Um, uh, verse 5. Let's get there. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And uh, let's just talk about seven seals for a second. Seven seals just means that it was perfectly sealed. It was unopenable. That's, remember the number seven is all over the New Testament, all over the Bible. It just means perfect, completely sealed. So verse six says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb. Wait a second. He just got done saying that the guy, the angel said to him, I'm sorry, one of the elders said to him, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. And he can open the scroll and its seals. And then in the very next verse, he says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it, has, it had been slain. Um, so what is it? Is it a lion or is it a lamb? And the answer is both. Very good, Josh Ferreira. It is both. It is yes. It, Jesus is the lion. This is the cool part. Are you ready? Jesus is the lion with the heart of a lamb. Jesus is the lion with the heart of a lamb. So let's go back to this passage because it says a couple things. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now remember, Judah is one of 12 tribes that uh, come from the lineage of Jacob. Uh, he is the fourth son of Jacob, and he is the royal tribe. And from Judah, we get David. And from Judah, we get Solomon and Hezekiah and Josiah. And all the way down to Mary and Joseph, we get the tribe of Judah. Mary is the descendant of Nathan, David's son, and Joseph is the descendant of um, Solomon. Uh, so these two branches in the tribe of Judah come back together, and both of them from the tribe of Judah uh, are the parents of Jesus. Of course, uh, uh, Joseph is not the, the paternal father, the biological father of Jesus. Mary is. Uh, he is from the tribe of Judah. He is the part of the royal tribe. He is now, listen to this, he is the son of David, and Revelation 5.5 5 says he is the root of David. He is both the son and the source of David. You cannot afford to miss this. He is both the son and the source of David. When the Pharisees were questioning who Jesus was, do you know what he said to them? He quoted Psalm 110, <clears throat> verse 1 to them. And he asked them this question. In Psalm 110, verse 1, David writes and says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And he asked the Pharisees, who knew the Bible inside and out, he asked them a question. He said, listen, if David, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls the Messiah Lord, how can he also be his son? Because a father would never refer to his son as Lord. This is unheard of, right, in the paternal and patriarchal. Patristic society, yeah. patriot, patristic society of the ancient world. A son is never greater than his father. But David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, the Lord said to my Lord, he is my, not just my son, he is also my Lord. How can that be? Here's how it can be. Because his son is from before him. 
Now, that just speaks to the fact that Jesus is not just God the Son. When he is born, he is God the Son from before time. He has always been God the Son, and he is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, he is Lord. He did not, so God did not create Jesus. He was already there. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created by him and for him and through him. And so you say, well, what, what's the big deal? Why are you talking about this? Because the only way he's worthy to redeem creation is to have the station given to him by the Father to have proper ownership of creation. He can, he can redeem it. Do you know why? Because he made it. But he has to redeem it. How? We'll find out about that at the end of this uh, podcast. So that brings me to a special segment. Jesus is the lion with the heart of the lamb. And I want to illustrate this because I think that some Christians really struggle with these dichotomies of Jesus. And I want to go there for a moment. And we're going to do this on the segment we call The Whiteboard. Let's go to it. The Whiteboard. The Whiteboard. <laughs> okay, here we are in The Whiteboard. One of my favorite things to do when I teach the Bible is go to The Whiteboard. Okay, Jesus is... We all know this. Every Christmas we talk about it. He's God the Son. Can we see that clearly on the whiteboard? I think so, right? And yet he is not just the son of David. He is the root of David. That means that he's the source. So guess what else, guess what else he is? He's God. So he is God and he is man. And now we see here in Revelation chapter 5 that he is not just God and man, but he is lion. Boop. And he is lamb. Beep. Okay? <laughs> Big boop for a lion, small beep for a lamb. All right. <laughs> and I think about this. This is the dichotomy, the, quadra, the quadrant dichotomy, if you will, of how we relate to God. See, and I think that there's problems with Christians' lives with the Lord because they fail to live dead center. This is the sweet spot. This is the sweet spot of living faithfully with the Lord. Because I think that by nature, we trend into one of these categories. Are you following me over there, oh, yeah. Josh? Because I'm going to ask you guys here in the uh, studio a couple of questions about that. Like, so for me, for instance, where do I fall in the quadrants of <clears throat> Jesus? Is he too much God and not enough man? Is he too much lamb and not enough lion? So like if I was to put myself up here, I don't know where I'd be. I'm just kind of just throwing it against the wall, but boom, there I am, okay? With the beard and everything. <laughs> Looking pretty snazzy. <laughs> you say, oh, I'm not following you. Okay, lion speaks of what? Power. Lion speaks of what? Strength. Strength, yeah. What else? Uh, uh, fear. You're fear lions. You have a healthy sphere, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, you don't, you're not afraid of lions per se that they exist, but you fear them healthy by staying away from them and they don't eat you, right? So <laughs> there's healthy fear. We would call this in the Bible, we call this reverence. Reverence. But then there's the lamb. Lamb is what? Meek, right? He's mild. He's, he's what else? Gentle. Gentle. Right? He's gentle, uh, he's kind, he's approachable, you can pet a lamb, he's not going to bite off your hand. Right? So these are the two dichot these are the two, uh, not dichotomies, these are the two extremes of Jesus' character. He is both fearfully 
um, awesome and powerful and strong, and he deserves our reverence, and yet at the same time, he is meek, he is mild, he is gentle, he is kind, he is approachable. He is both and, and a lot of Christians stray to one of the extremes here, and this is why we struggle. This is why we struggle in life. Okay, and I'm going to get to why in just a moment, but let me talk about this. Because he's God, right? And so God speaks of what? Let's talk about that. What does God firstly refer to? Judgment. Judgment. That's a good one. Yeah, like judgment. Uh, that's, that's a J, believe it or not. <laughs> I always type everything. I never write. Judgment. But he also speaks of authority. Like this is why people don't want to come to church. I don't want to come to church because, you know, I don't want God to tell me what to do. That's just you have a problem with God being God. Right. He's sovereign. He's in control. And until you make your own universe, you got to go with the rules of his. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he is, but yet he is not just God uh, uh, in authority and judgment and, and supreme uh, sovereign reign. He is also man. And so what does that speak about? That he is what? He is able to identify with us. Identify with us. He is able to relate to us. And these are, again, now these are two extremes. Now, I'm going to say something that's so important for you to understand. As God and Lamb, He provides comfort. He provides comfort and He provides healing. Right? Healing. Sorry about my comfort. Sorry about my writing. I never write. Uh, as man and Lamb, guess what He provides? He provides compassion. So I just put this in this quadrant over here, and friendship. There is a friend that sticks closer to the brother than a brother. What's the proverb talking about? He's talking about Jesus. So comfort and healing, good news is God can heal you and comfort you. He's the God of all comfort, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But he's also Jesus, God the Son, who is able to associate with you in your weakness. He's been tempted every way as you are, yet without sin. And he's the friend that sticks closer to brother and he does, than a brother, and he does not give up on you. Over here in this quadrant, uh, he is God and lion, which means that he's in control and sovereign. And over here, he gives us conviction. He brings conviction. He tells us, you need to change. You need to grow. You need to develop. And he is sovereign over our lives. He is in control. And then down here in this quadrant, he is uh, lion, which means that he is in control. I'm sorry, control of our lives. And he is also Lord, right? David said, the Lord said to my Lord. So he has authority. He is our king. Mm -hmm. And what you want to do, Christian, and what I want to do is I want to live right here. I want to live in the sweet spot center of God, the Son, eternal from before time, and also the one who entered into history and stepped into creation and got into the muck and the mire and was not this digitized idea of the deity, but was actually flesh and blood with us and knows what it's like to be human. And I want to, I, I want to settle into the, the sweet spot of he's both lion and lamb. He has absolute power and authority to drive out demons, to, to heal, to tell me what to do and lead my life because I need someone to lead me. You need someone to lead you. A lot of the worst mistakes you've made might be because you refuse to listen. You ever meet somebody who just does not listen to anybody? And you tell them, like, don't do this, and they keep doing it, and their life is a wreck, and you say, this is because you don't listen to anybody. And it's like they don't get it because they don't think they need anybody to lead. And if you don't let the Lord lead you, something else will lead you. 
And yet he's also the, lion, the lamb. I can approach him. I can come to him as I am. He is not going to cast me out. He is not going to whip me. He's going to let me come to him as I am. And he's the, lion, and he's the lamb slain. Now, I'm going to say something from a doctrinal perspective because this is important for you churchgoers. Every cult in America, every cult in America breaks uh, this line right here. This is how cults start. So they, they say, well, Jesus was a man, but he wasn't God eternal. And they'll say things like he became God. This is where the Jehovah's Witnesses are. This is where the Mormons are. This is why we cannot doctrinally align with Mormonism because Jesus was man and he wasn't fully God from eternity to the past. I'm just telling you, just so you have like some groundwork for your own biblical studies and your own studies of church history, every cult gets started by breaking this line right here. That's where it happens. So in the uh, old world, I'm sorry, in the ancient world, you had uh, Arianism. And this has nothing to do with where you're coming from right now. I understand that. But Arian was a first, like a third century uh, heretic who denied the deity of Christ. Um, Constantine, who made Christianity the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire. A lot of people said he was a Christian. That's debatable because he actually sided with the Arians. So he did not think that Jesus was fully God from eternity past. Now, I got a question for you. Why does this matter? Pastor, what are you talking about? You talk about theology that I don't care about. Here's why it matters. Because when you can say that Jesus was a man who became God, guess what you can say about you? That we could become God. There you go. Bingo. We can do the same. And this is why those cults are so appealing. This is why cult followers and Arianists that still are alive today in different forms are so widespread. Because it speaks to that old original temptation when the serpent comes to Eve and he says to her, you will be like God if you do these things. And she was already made in his image, but she wanted more. She wanted authority. She wanted her own control. She didn't want this. And every cult is fabulously popular because they provide a way for you to make a God out of yourself. And this is why Jesus has to be God eternal. Because he is separate and distinct from us, and he is the source of us, and he is worthy of the worship of us. And this is important for you just to be balanced and healthy as a Christian. Now, the other thing that you have to understand, too, is that there's another break that's not as common today, but it breaks here. So it says that Jesus is kind of God but never became man. In the first century, it was called Gnosticism. Uh, today, you could relate it to Eckhart Tolle. Like, he came out with a new Jesus book. It's called, I think, The Third Way Jesus. And it's basically a bunch of garbage. Like, he comes up with this stuff that suddenly, now he knows who Jesus really was. The guys who walked with him, they were clueless. Suddenly, 2,000 years later, some guy trying to sell books named Eckhart Tolle knows who Jesus really was. And so this is another problem. And there's a great appeal to this, too, because it mystifies and spiritualizes everything and and, and, and this is where you get into New Age philosophy. And, and, and actually, it's all rooted in Platonic thought, which Plato thought that the body was evil and uh, the creation was evil. And we needed to shed the body and be absorbed into the narthex of the eternal realm and so on and so forth. And that's why it, that appeals to some people. It doesn't appeal. I don't know. I, I don't think that's an American appeal. No. You know, you, you got to be a space cadet, I think, to be appealed. To <laughs> you got to be a wack job. Right. Now, <clears throat> the other thing that we have problem here is, is here's, here's the problem that we have in the church world. Not cult world. These are good, solid Christians. But guess what they do? 
they go either too far here or they go too far here. Mm. And if they go too far this way, they get very legalistic. They get very controlling. Oh, you want to come to this church, you better wear a shirt and tie. Oh, you you want to come to this church, you better not do the following sins. So you want to come to this church, you better... Da, da, da. And they all have their own little prescribed righteousness code, right? And this is because they trend way too far over to the lion's stage. And then over here, guess what they become? They don't become legalistic over here. They become relativistic. So now anything goes. He's the lamb. Don't worry about it. You know, He's never going to judge you. No, he is going to judge you. He's the lion. He's not just the lamb. He's the lion. you got to live in the sweet spot. you got to live right here. And by the way, so if this trajectory is cults, right, this trajectory is cults, this trajectory, I would call, is the spectrum of denominations. Church denomination. Every church denomination, I'm, I'm telling you right now, is along this spectrum one way or another. So you went to that church that was all about religious form and religious function and religious looks, and the external was perfect, but everybody was cheating on their spouse or gossiping or slandering about everybody, guess what you got? You got a lion church. Or you went to that church where everybody's sleeping with everybody and nobody's saying anything. <laughs> because it's grace, 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 grace. Well, you just got a lamb church. And, I, and I'm just telling you, this is why so many people have a problem with Christianity. And this is why so many Christians have a jacked up Christianity themselves. Because they don't live in the sweet spot. They fall for these extremes. And they don't go to the scriptures, and they don't go to Revelation chapter 5, which is clearly saying that Jesus is not just God the Son. He is God the Son from eternity past. And he is not just the lamb, I'm sorry, the lion, who is ferocious and powerful. He's the lamb who lays down his life for his bride and for slaves who are hopelessly bankrupt spiritually and morally. Where would you say uh, Waters Church lies on that? Well, Waters Church likes to say we're non-denominational. That's why I asked. So we are right here, baby. Right where my beard is. Let's put my, there we go, right there where the beard is. No, I mean, I don't know. You know, I think this, I think this way. I think about it like this. Some weeks we're going to be a lion church. Yeah, I was going to say, I would imagine that the, it yeah. probably shifts eventually. Yeah, right? it should shift. I think that a healthy church has some lion weeks. Like, hey, man. Judgment is coming, and you got to start walking fearfully before the Lord. You're getting, we're getting too lax. Mm-hmm. And then there's some times where we need, to real, we need to have some good, peaceful, you know, lamb season. I would say, you know, last, if you were in our church, um, the Christmas series was called Prince of Peace. Well, that was a lamb series, you know, and it's New Year happy right now. That's a lamb series. But don't worry, because we got some lion series coming up. We're going to scare the <laughs> life out of you. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say, though, is I want you to be balanced. Christian, I want you to be balanced. Balance is so key. The world talks about being centered. That's baloney. You want to be balanced. You want to be centered in who Jesus is because he is your he is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is your creator. He is your redeemer. He is your Lord, and he is your friend. And that's what makes him so unique, and that's what makes him so beautiful, and that's what makes your life so powerful in him. Amen. All right, so Jesus is the lion with the heart of a lamb. Uh, That's the whiteboard segment. Now, let's finish off Revelation 5, and then we're going to be done here. Look at what it says in verse 8. It says, and when he had taken the scroll, so the only one worthy to unwrap the deed to creation is Jesus because he shed his blood. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures... (laughs) 
the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Look at this line. So, so awesome. Which are the prayers of the saints. Wow. Here's what I want you to see in this. The prayers of the saints are presented to the lamb who is the lion, who is God the Son and, and God with all authority of creation. The prayers are presented to him. Your prayers go before the throne because the lamb was slain for you. Now, remember that I said seven is a key number in Revelation. And if you remember way back, I think week three of this teaching, why is seven God's number? And I said, the number of heaven is three. The number of four is earth. And so what is happening? Heaven is invading earth. When heaven adds what it has to earth, you get seven. The completion work, the completed work of Jesus. Your prayers, I just think about this. This is so powerful to me. Your prayers come to the throne room of heaven. Remember, we're in heaven in Revelation 5. Your prayers come to the throne room of heaven because of Jesus' shed blood for you, and they go to heaven so that the work that God is about to do on earth can get done. And you, through your prayers, become an active participant in heaven invading earth. Which, I don't know if that just like makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up, but it does for me. Like it does for me to think that my prayers be, that go up to heaven, not because I'm a good person, not because I've got a good record of righteousness behind me, but because of Jesus' blood that was shed for me, now makes it possible for my prayers to be presented at the throne room of heaven is just, wow, like yeah, I want to pray now. I want to pray because I know God's going to hear me because Jesus paid for me. Yes. And now I can see changes in my life through my prayers, which brings me to the government shutdown. <laughs> because the government shutdown has now gone on for 25 days. And yet, life has moved pretty well. I mean... <laughs> I think a couple of things, like longer lines at an airport, I heard Yeah, about. minus a few TSA people calling out A couple second. TSA people. Um, I don't know. A couple of workers have been furloughed. I, I feel bad for them and their families. I think the Coast Guard's uh, pay is frozen, too. Right yeah, now. I mean, but at the same time, I, I, you know, I, I feel bad for their families. <laughs> I do. I, I don't want to belittle that. But, gosh, the country just seems to be moving forward. And yet we freak out <laughs> over government, right? We look to government. Give us money. We need, we need help. Or, you know, we need the right president. Or we need the right senator. Or we need this or we need that. And we, what? You're worshiping creation. You're worshiping. Government, friends, is a necessary evil because people are bad. <laughs> this is what the scripture teach in Romans chapter 13. There, there's government holds the sword, Romans 13, to punish the evildoer. But government does not make things happen. God makes things happen. You, with God, make things happen. Your prayers go before the throne of God, and they come back into earth, and they invade in your spirit. You ever think about this, dude? When you pray, you expect God to do it, but I think what happens is God hears your prayers and then instigates your spirit to start making that happen. 
Like I think that's, a, that's the spiritual principle that sometimes we think prayer is, okay, throw it up to God and hopefully someday he'll do it. And I think God is up in heaven saying, okay, this is on your heart. This is in your life. This is what you want to happen. Okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to put things in your life. I'm going to put gifts in your life. I'm going to put people in your life so that you can start making it happen yourself. And I think that's a, a spiritual principle. Like I think about Joseph who had the dreams, but yet it was his diligence and decisions that inevitably brought the dreams to pass. And because he partnered faithfully with God in his activity, his hopes became reality because he actually did what God had put in his heart. Yeah. I mean, that's just my opinion. You can differ if you want. I'm just not a big believer on throwing your prayers up to God and hoping that one day they come to pass. I'm a believer of God will make them happen, but you got to believe and you got to do stuff to help make them happen. So closing this out, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, um, it says this. Uh, sorry, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, open a seal. So singing breaks out in heaven. Why? Because someone's worthy. Singing. And I want you to think about this. Tie this to the worship experience at your church, your own personal worship experience. When you worship, you are reminding yourself, though your world stinks, you still have reason to worship because God is redeeming the world. God is doing things right now to bring that order out of the chaos that sin has created. And so it says, Worthy are you to take the scroll, open its seals. You were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God. Ransomed is a purchase term. We have been bought to God, bought by God. For God, from every tribe, language, people, and nation. We are a multitude of nations, a multitude of languages, a multitude of kinds of people. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's happening right now. That's happening right now. We reign with him on the earth in part. And one day, there'll be a culmination, and we will reign with him on the earth in full. And then the final three verses, four verses, we'll just go through this real quick. Uh, then I looked and I heard around uh, the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering in the myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. I just think about that phrase right there. You know, there's myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands of angels. The host of heaven is so powerful. And they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might and power forever. And the four living creatures said, what'd they say? They said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. By the way, when I'm preaching and you say amen, you're doing what they're doing. <laughs> I'm a big fan of amens. But I think about this. The whole of heaven breaks out into worship because the whole of heaven which had been weeping, realized that Jesus was worthy. His blood was enough, and the prayers of the saints are now effective and, and powerful because they have been brought back into harmony with their creator through the redemptive work of Jesus. And now we have hope. We have hope. We have hope that in spite of what we see in our world and in our lives and in our culture, we have hope that God is working to redeem it and bring it back to its rightful order. So, summing it all up, Revelation 4, the creation, Revelation 5, the redemption, is teaching us, Christian is teaching you, don't worship what you see. Worship him who gave you what you see. Don't fall into these extremes of Christianity, these extremes of the views of Jesus. No, balance your life in who he is and rest in who he is. And I'm telling you something, you're going to be a, a much more 
whole person. You're going to be a much more happier person. You're going to be a much more settled person because you know him who holds all things in his hands. Anyway, that's the deep end. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have a question, we want to uh, give you an opportunity to ask it. Uh, we give you this number to uh, text us anonymously, 508-316-9333, 508-316-9333. Any question can be asked. Uh, we don't get many questions lately, but we want questions, so send us questions. Probably haven't gotten questions lately because we haven't done an episode lately. Yeah. So we're back, and we're back next week, and don't you miss it. Uh, the Deep End is always available to you, facebook.com slash TV, youtube.com slash waterschurch, and look under the channels tab, you'll see Deep End. Subscribe to the Deep End channel of the Waters Church YouTube, and then you can just go to thedeepend.tv. We'll see you next time on The Deep End. Tonight.